Their goal is to bring you a podcast that sounds more like everyone else than anyone else. We need to accept the fact that we are like every other podcast. We want to be special, but we're not quite there yet. It's the Xenial Odyssey podcast with Remy and Bobby Rocks. Welcome back, everybody, to the Zenial Odyssey podcast. As always, we're here with Remy and Bobby Rocks. The guest with us today is my good friend, Chris Flynn. Chris, welcome to the Odyssey. Thanks, Bob. Welcome, nice man. Here. Yeah. yeah. Nice to meet you. So if you could give us some background on yourself, give us some personal background at first, if you want. I'm 40, like walks on the beach. Chris, uh, this is a podcast. It's not a dating. It's not one of those well, I know VHS I'm married dating too, things. So. No, you know what's uh, funny? When I first explained myself, I did the same thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bob and I, we've been friends for... It's approaching 20 years. Yeah. Well, 20 years. Personally, I grew up in Bridgewater. I was born and raised in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. I lived briefly in Rhode Island, but now I reside in Tyne. I have a family. Professionally, I've worked in uh, finance, primarily lending of one kind or another for, I guess that's almost 20 years now too, probably closer to 15, give or take. And looking forward to talking about things that people find, you know, useful in some way. And if I can, I'll give you a little background on what we do on the podcast. I mean, the podcast is about, it's kind of a tongue in cheek calling us Zenial because it's not counted as like a census generation. Officially. Yeah. So basically what when we say Xennials, we're talking about people who were born in the late 1970s to like the mid late 1980s. So the last generation that knew what hard work was. Yes. Yeah, oh, there nice. you go. Come there you go. In. Coming in hot. I like it. So that's the focal point of yeah. the podcast is people of our age, our perspectives. There's a lot of reasons I wanted to do that. One reason I wanted to do that is because I think no one pays attention to us as a generation of people. They lump us in with like, I honestly feel like millennials Gen Z get lumped in and like millennials are like never ending. So for example, do you, what do you feel like you have in common with a 20 year old? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah, that's my, yeah. exactly my point. But as far <laughs> I as... I don't think I've really gone with like 35 year olds anymore because it's like seemed to be like a precipitous drop. I think that makes sense Shortly too. Shortly after we were born. Shortly after we were born? Yeah. So if you had to put a rough year on it, what do you think it would be? Like 1985? Maybe like 89. 89? Like early nine. Yeah. So yeah. people people currently in their mid 30s. It's kind of yeah. that kind of that cutoff. I agree with that. I think that's fair. Yeah, that works. And I know that from my work. I, it's conversations that Chris and I have had where we've talked about people we've worked with of different ages and our interactions with them. And differences. And our hate. Yeah. Let's just call it for what it is. No, that's fair. The lack of accountability that younger people have. An entitlement. Yeah. Oh, an entitlement. Yeah. Give us an example of one that you have run into. Well, I guess at a high level, an example would be is that people that are sort of like in the generation and well, generations that we're referring to, I think they sort of view something like sick days is as a thing that they have an obligation to use, right? Versus something that more of a, a safety net if it happens. Like, I, th- I think that it's just, and that's sort of how they apply sort of their work ethic and most components of their professional lives. So I think I know speaking personally, it's like, like things like calling in sick and I try not to, you know, particularly mm-hmm. working from home. You know, I work from home professionally, so it would really have to make sense to not be able to work from home. Can I say? devil's advocate for just a moment because that's kind of what I do here unfortunately but don't you think to an extent the way that we've been bred to work and the things that we were taught were normal were a bit skewed there was almost in other words there was almost too much of an emphasis like our generation worked when sick but what did that give us 
You know, I think that there's um, there's probably extremes, right? I don't think that if you're going to be potentially like infecting your coworkers, you belong showing up to an office, of course, right? Of course. But my sort of like where I'm coming from is like as an example when I'll use a, an example without any names. Uh, uh, you know, a, we're big on that. An empl- employee that I have now works from home, got COVID, one of the milder cases and tossed up their hands called called in sick which means that they weren't actively working when it was very easily to discern that they weren't that sick right yeah. so they weren't so sick that they were either physically or mentally incapacitated but they chose to not work because they had been diagnosed with covid yeah they used it as an opportunity yeah as yeah, an yeah. opportunity so I, and i agree with chris there because when i got covid in march one of the things that my boss when i told my boss and my boss was like well you could take sick time or you could just work from home and i said i'll work from home yeah i like, mean i had it i got it not long after bob and the same thing for me i'm a writer i still wrote because I was capable and mm-hmm. I was home and I could still do it. So don't think I'm just yeah. siding. Yeah, that's exactly my point. It's yeah. like if you're capable, uh, it, it's an individual, you're making a choice. It's not out of necessity. It's like you're not like physically or mentally incapacitated. And it's like one thing, you know, I know that you can have that fog or whatever they talk about. And when I had COVID, that was, I suffered more other than a fever. I had like that fog. Thing Being out of I couldn't concentrate for anything. Yeah. And in my line of work, you're incapacitated if you can't concentrate. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing it sounds like you're, you're getting at is like people using sick days as personal days or in place yeah. of personal days. Yeah. Oh, I think, but it's okay. more just the approach. It's the approach that people take. It's the work ethic or lack thereof. And I'm not saying that all people younger than us are lazy douchebags, but it's there's a good high percentage of them that, that it's just their approach to their work ethic, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's something I've seen being in a supervisory position for a long time with one type or another. I just, it surprises me, you know, sometimes. And I'm thankful for how I was brought up. Well, you know? something interesting too is like, you know, me and Bob had talked about, are you familiar with quiet quitting? Oh yeah. That's, yeah. so that's, yeah. Sort of like a huge thing right now with the younger generation where they're going off of like, you know, their parent, maybe watching their parents work for 40 years and never quite break through financially. But I do think that what you're saying, there is a pressing issue with it. And I think quiet quitting fits in with that because you have a generation now that's like, oh, fuck everything. I'm going to do the bare Mm -hmm. minimum to get through everything. But at the same degree, again, I have to do this. But when we were in high school, all of us right here, we didn't go to high school with any millionaires or influencers. There are kids now who have fucking t-shirt brands and you know what I'm saying? So there are some who are doing shit that we did not see in high school. There are kids who already have brands mm-hmm. at 19, but you're looking at 0.1%. Yeah, and they, you have, know? they have opportunities oh, for, of course. for doing that. Um, of course. If I could go off of from what you were saying, like a, like a pendulum swing. Like our parents work themselves to the bone, even if and with something that we talked about with uh, Coxie, Jason Cox. We talked about like, you don't have to like your job. You don't have to like your family or your kids, but it's your obligation to do this. And then I feel it started with people our age. There was that, well, no, if it doesn't serve me, then it's my job to look for what serves me better. But you're talking about like the younger generation, the, that pendulum is like, is like, yeah, no, the work, the, the job owes me. Yeah, it seems like everything nowadays is an extreme. It's yeah. like, and, and that's not useful. There's nothing useful about existing in an extreme of any kind. It's nothing productive. It's right in my wheelhouse, Chris, because I yeah. do bring up a lot that like, I think extremism of any kind is bad. Yeah, and now, it doesn't matter. It's not about opinion. It's, 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 it's fact. It's like, you don't, there's no progress in any level of extreme of any kind. All it is, is you're trying to influence an opinion, a position of someone else to the extent you're trying to change their behavior and usually it doesn't work at least for the long term i would agree with that you know so but i see what you're talking about how things on your on your show just kind of go off 
Yeah. It just everything. Yeah, but you, you see what we did there. You, <laughs> yeah, you see what we've done. It grows like grass. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. very organic. Very yeah. tangential. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say you, and, and it's pretty pretty natural, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you're a good talker, Bob. I, I am a good talker. He's yeah. a good yeah. ringleader good for talker. sure. Yeah. So you work in finance. Can yeah. you talk about exactly what you do? You don't have to give us specifically, but because if you were to just say I work in finance, that could mean like that's blanket. So it's in investment services for what's called a custodial bank. There's different. There's a lot of different types of banks that exist and a lot of, and that's not something that's you know common knowledge necessarily but you have depository banks like you know like citizens bank or santander or bank of america where you just put your money into and then that money is used to lend to somebody else and then if you want to go get your money come take it out i think a lot of people don't realize that's what happens when you put your money in a bank. yeah that's the whole banking system yeah. that's the way it's designed is, is to lend somebody else's money they yes you are if you have like a savings account in a bank they have to honor the fact that your money's in there but physically like they're taking your money yeah and they're lending it to somebody else yes. yep so uh but that's not the type of bank i work for the type of bank i work for is called a custodial bank so what we do when you have large uh corporations that need to borrow huge sums of money like in the billions or tens or hundreds of billions of dollars wow they have to borrow that money from what's called syndicated loans so they like if a, like a united airlines needs to borrow 10 million dollars to cover payroll for a quarter there's a lot of logistical complexities to that process and there are there are specific types of banks that oversee the all those logistics to basically take the money in make sure that it goes out to the right people then when it comes time for united airlines to pay that money back that money comes to us and then we make sure it goes to all the right places when you do a loan like that are you the only bank that's involved with what what you're talking about no no that you have the what's called the agent bank so there's a number of so there's like the primary bank so you kind of think it like a flow chart, you have the primary agent bank up on top, but then you have, say, like the five or six syndicated lenders. So, and they all pool their money together, right? Because you can't just go to one bank and say, hey, I need to borrow $10 billion. So you have to... Do you want that in cash or check? I mean, there's governments. It's not just companies. Uh, we deal with a lot of foreign currencies. So like the government of Egypt, Pakistan, Australia, Ireland, Gambia, there's a lot of governments that borrow money regularly. And that was actually one of the things I was going to, if I had to pick what we're talking about, I was going to talk about was like debt, like borrowing money. It's, it's sort of a, it's as, it's as, it's organic and as natural as breathing. And a lot of people don't realize that big part of what we do. What's the largest like, single transaction that you've ever dealt with? If you're allowed to just give a number um, of something that changed hands. I think I saw, I think I, I once, because we have to release wires and it's, I think it was 900 billion. Wow. I think was, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost funny, unfathomable, it? right? It's like when, you, when I'm looking at the screen, particularly after a long day, I, please excuse me if I'm wrong, but this nine zeros behind those numbers, one, right? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're just short of a trillion dollars. Yeah. And it's all just figures on a ledger. It's not like someone walked up with a briefcase. <laughs> yeah, or briefcase. is like, let me take this $900 billion and just, it's just numbers. It's bits, bits of data that get moved from one place to another, but it's, it's all happens behind the scenes. And a lot of people think they lump that in with like the stock market. But it's not, it's not, it really, it's, it's a kind of trading though. So when you say trading, you, you, are you referring to like stock market well, type of trading? Well, the, what happened in that example that I gave United Airlines, when people say, or I want to get in on this, I want to lend some of this 10 billion that they need. Those are shares. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're issuing debt. So it's like a it's like a bond. It's a debt. So they're saying we'll buy these shares at X amount per share. And the whole entire it's the, the entire purpose of that transaction is an investment to earn interest on that and make money on it. 
So that's, and that's the whole purpose of lending and borrowing money is to make money on it. It's just when we're talking about Fortune 500 companies or even countries, yeah. those numbers are Enormous, astronomical. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even 900 billion is unfathomable. Like, can yeah. you, like, how much would that weigh? You know what I'm that's saying? A, like, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. And that's, there's a lot of a lot smaller trend. I mean, all businesses. A big scale. Yeah. yeah. But even, I mean, like, lent, borrowing is, is the, it's the same. It's, it's exactly the same whether you're us or you're the government of Egypt. It's how much you're yeah. borrowing. It's the term, the rate, and the principal amount. How much you're borrowing over what period of time and what, at what rate. How'd you get involved with that, if I may ask? That's an excellent question. So, well, I lost, God damn. I lost my job. That's how I did <laughs> That's how all good things I start. I worked in, uh, in uh, quality for, I can tell you that because I don't work there anymore, Saint-Tendere for a few years and uh, they exited the mortgage space. So I worked in quality insurance for, in, in the mortgage space for Saint-Tendere Bank. And then they said, well, we don't want to, we don't want to do mortgaging anymore. So if you don't have mortgages, you don't, don't need people to oversee your quality anymore. And quality assurance in lending means making sure that every application that's underwritten. So every time someone applies, they have the same experience, the same terms mm. are applied, all the rules are followed, right? Wow. So um, that's what I worked in. And then I took a different role at Santander for a short period of time. And when I was got my notice in February of this year, yeah, this, this year, year, yeah, I immediately applied for all kinds of positions. because I was obviously freaking out thinking I'm not gonna have a job. Yeah. And I applied for the position that I have now and totally forgot about it. Oh, wow. totally forgot about it. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they reached out to me and they had to actually remind me what I had applied for because I had totally <laughs> forgotten. So I've spent the last, I think I've worked this seven, eight, seven, eight months, somewhere in there, learning about the entirely new segment of, of finance. Oh, that's cool. Was it over? I mean, imagine a little bit overwhelming. Incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. Incredibly overwhelming. It's overwhelming to hear about. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. But believe it or not, it's much simpler. Like the whole idea of like borrowing money in the first place is much simpler than what a lot of people make it out to be. The One of the things I get, I always, if anyone ever learns what I do and asks questions about finance, one of the, the points I always try to make to people is that it's not as complicated or daunting as a lot of people make it out to be. In and other words, that, there are people who are overwhelmed by even the thought of this stuff. Yeah. And for you at this point, is a lot of it secondary? Like the stuff that you've yeah, learned? Yeah, it's like, and one of the things that that I learned at what I, a place I used to work, a lender, it was a space in lending called subprime lending, whereas where I'm coming to mansplain this for a second. <laughs> if you have basically poor credit, you fit into a segment of what's called subprime borrowing, which is you have higher interest rates because as a borrower, you represent a more significant risk. You could have poor credit either because you have a lack of experience or you've had a poor experience. Or you've mishandled it. Yeah, yeah you've mishandled it. So anyway, I used to have to meet a lot individually with borrowers who had poor credit for one reason or another. Oh, wow. And when I sat down with them and I talked to them about, hey, well, tell me about what happened here, looking at their credit, they would tell me. And I was like, well, geez, if you just done this or that, or the reoccurring message that I got back countless times were just like, geez, if I had only known this, then. One simple yeah, thing. If, that, I had, yeah. if someone had just explained this to me, say like in high school or something like that, and I thought to my, and I've always wanted to, and I've never really done it is that there are just basic fundamental components of, of personal finance that if people knew a little bit more of, number one, they could protect themselves from making a lot of what I consider to be kind of stupid mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. And they could, if if not just protect themselves, they could probably thrive. You know, they could, they could have a lot more they success. They could gain a lot from it. Yeah. And the third component of that would be confidence. You know what I mean? Is like that thriving could be from having confidence. Like, well, financial insecurity, right? Is a huge, yeah, huge. It's thing. huge, and I, I find a lot of times, like I've so many people have said to me about like homeownership as an example. It's like, oh well, 
that's like, you know, something that's, you know, either out of reach or well in the future. And I always ask, well, why, why can't it be tomorrow? Why, yeah. why, why do you have to wait? And, you know, we've kind of had this conversation before about, mm-hmm. and I always ask, well, and I asked you the same question, what's your rent, right? Because I'm like, well, try to get an idea, well, what are you paying now, right? Because your ability to borrow is is relative to two things. What you can What pay. you can afford, right? And what type of risk you represent. That's that's what it boils down to. Is like if you have paid your bills historically over time and you don't have if and you haven't taken on a massive amount of debt, therefore then representing an unacceptable risk to a, a lender, you can borrow money and you can probably do it more easily than what you might think. So for example, when my wife and I are both approaching or over eight hundred credit scores, what does that say to a bank or a lender? I want to lend you money right now. And me with a twelve. Yeah, that was, now I want to know what go a, that low. <laughs> what a bank say then when they see that? Let me get you a pillow. I mean, <laughs> we'll get you a noose. Hold, hold it over your face. Let me get you a noose. Yeah. Me and Bob, the reason we're here is we're two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, so the, the thing that's cool, and I, I probably sound like a dork when I say that credit's cool, but the thing that's cool about credit is like, so so often people are talking about what's how things aren't fair, right? About how, you know, we can be treated unfairly or how we're like discriminated against for any reason, right? The cool thing about credit is that it doesn't care if you're a black, white, or purple. The thing about credit is that it's an algorithm that knows nothing about anything uniquely distinct about it knows you, your stats right? it knows your stats it knows who have you borrowed money from have you paid them back and what are your behaviors like as it pertains to the money that you've borrowed have you ever been on the end where like the other end where you've had to tell someone no that's what i did is that hard no okay because no. it's your it's what you do and you understand it in a language right so and okay. i always would tell them no and here's why sorry chris yeah. i was gonna say because i've had these conversations with chris chris He's not saying no to someone because of them. He's no, it's saying, factual. He's saying yeah. no Again, because that, they that's don't. That's why I wanted to ask. Because they yeah. don't meet the criteria that's needed. And One other thing, and if yeah. he said yes, it would make these people's lives and yours way yeah. harder. Yeah, let me put it this way. So our approval ratio is about 30%. So I said no to about 70% of the other people that asked for a loan, right. right? And these were specifically auto loans. But the people that I would have to say no to, they would know what they needed to do to be a yes. Exactly. And whether it was, and this is the thing, whether you're borrowing money to buy a scooter, or a Lamborghini, a yeah, right? Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The rules are exactly the same, and the rules. There's sort of like two components to it, right? Is like to have good credit is that you you don't just have to pay your bills on time, and, and by bills I mean credit cards. Yeah, delve um, into this a little bit. For auto auto loans, things like that is like that's one part of it. The second part of it is sort of like where the rules come into play. It's like there are rules of when you borrow money. There's a and I'll use one specific example about credit utilization because if you as an example borrow go ahead what i was gonna say for just related to like credit cards yeah is, is pretty much across the board under 30 percent. yeah it's exactly gonna make right. your score okay like yeah. if you stay generally under, speaking okay. generally speaking but it will fluctuate a little bit but what it boils down to is like the way to treat it is that just because someone's willing to lend you money in a, on a credit card doesn't necessarily mean that it's in your best interest to borrow all of it so if capital one says you're pre-approved for a five thousand dollar credit limit by the way that doesn't necessarily mean you're approved that's just a marketing tactic so if they send you something in mail that says you pre-approved that Bo- means boost your confidence yeah gets you in the door it's a total false hope so if they send you something in the mail that means that you fit within a group of people that have a credit score that fits within a specific range but a pre-approval is based on nothing other than that so know that if you get a pre-approval in the mail that you're not guaranteed 
anything. What about an exist? If you have an existing credit card, yeah, and a credit line, and they continually increase it, what is that automatically? So if they've already done it, then that means they've already run your credit and evaluated with their risk position. So they've already looked at it and said, okay, he represents a sufficient or acceptable level of risk. If we were to go from a thousand to five thousand, and that's and, the, and that's cool if they just did that and they would have done it based on a soft inquiry, which is an inquiry that isn't going to affect your score. Okay. Rem, do you know what the difference between a hard and a soft inquiry is? No, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that is going to impact your credit score. Okay. Yeah. Whereas a soft one, like Credit Karma. Credit oh, okay, Karma is okay. like soft. Those yeah. are like credit-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Credit. I'm yeah. the yeah. layman here, and I'm, I'm obviously representing the audience too, so do the, this. Yeah, those, yeah. Those. And that's, that's very helpful. So cause. what Chris is saying is when they just went out of their way and they upped my credit line and they were and they let me know, yeah. they did a soft inquiry. It was, to, it, was to, it was to increase your crack intake. Yeah. is because it's a drug. That's yep. what that's what credit card is. Their, their I mean, assumption, they, they saw the risk, and then they said, now you could now you have this much more money to spend to go on a vacation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, but that's, yeah. that's probably... I mean, we could go on 10 podcasts for the, the lending industry. but the, and, and that's why it's important to know like the basic fundamentals because you, you have to protect yourself against that because there's a lot of people out there that fall victim to what's really predatory lending. I mean, I know it's, it's easy to tell, oh, well, that's, that's outlawed. You can't do that. Particularly in Massachusetts, it's very illegal, but it's still predatory it's to an extent. It's harder to do, but yeah, it can but still it's, be It's done. still predatory when you're marketing to people that have less than a thorough knowledge or understanding of how mm-hmm. it works. It's still predatory because we don't teach this to people. The average person isn't taught what a FICO score is, you know, what a fair Isaac income model is. They think no one has the slightest freaking idea what I'm talking about, right? So when utilization of credit, so if you're given, like say you're starting at a young age, 18 years old, you get a credit card, it's $1,000 credit limit. Great. You get a $1,000 credit limit. The way to utilize that card is never, ever, ever use it for anything more than I used to say buying gas. Go use it to buy gas. Gas is something that you're going to have, you have to buy no matter what. It's not a new expense. You're not creating a new bill. You're taking an existing expense and you're just restructuring the way that you're going to pay for that. You don't get credit for using your debit card at the gas pump. You don't earn credit. You don't build a financial reputation by doing that. If you use your Capital One credit card for the exact same expense, pre-existing expense of a small amount, then you then pay that card every single month. Pay it off. Don't carry a balance. Mm -hmm. Can't tell you how many people used to say, oh, I thought it was going to help my credit score by maintaining a balance. Why? By paying interest to the bank? You're going to help? No, you're not going to help your credit score who who cares who gives a shit if you have a balance does it do anything to your to your credit score if anything it hurts because what you're doing by carrying a balance is you're showing that you're you're living beyond your means Ah. because if you're if you're paying cash for everything which by the way is not a good idea either pay cash for everything because how do you build up a financial reputation if you have not in any way shape or form demonstrated that you have the ability to responsibly borrow money if you pay cash for everything well you didn't ever borrow money so you don't have that level of experience you can't just say so there's a big misconception. People, oh, it's it's people it's, are they're it's, doing it it's all like wrong. The size of the Grand Canyon, the misconceptions that are out there, and yeah, you know, and it's and I feel bad about it because I used to get it on the tail end after people had made the mistakes, mm-hmm. right? They would come to me with like a 420 credit score, like their hat in hand, puppy eyed, yeah, like and, and mad usually and very embarrassed about it. You know, that was one of the biggest things when I had people starting at the, at the company I worked Shame. for. Is like I had to tell people, hey, tread softly because you're mm-hmm. going to bring up things that they're not going to want to talk about. You're going to ask them questions that they're not going to feel embarrassed and ashamed to answer. So it's, it's always like, hey, tell me a little bit about what, what happened here. And at the end of the day, it's understanding is like, if your premise is, look, I'm getting into something that I don't know probably as much as I should about. Now you have Google. Now you have Credit Karma. 
utilize those tools because mm-hmm. I can't tell you sit here and tell everybody everything they need to know in one second, but that would be where I would start. Yeah. You know? What know, about know what assets are available? Yeah. Two parter here. What about how many credit cards or open credit lines? you have versus your borrowing power. It's the same thing. You don't need to. So if you're trying to prove to somebody that you can hit a golf ball 300 yards off of the tee, you don't have to do that 10 times to prove that you can do it successfully once. So if you've hit, if you've hit the ball 300 yards off the tee, you've done it once, now you've proved to everybody. Now it's, and there's no question that you can do it. So the same thing with credit cards. If you've got one and you've had it for enough time, that tells people. why are you, why you going to go get five more? It doesn't make any sense. So it looks better for, from your angle. It would look better for someone to have one consistent credit card than have six lines of credit over. Well, what it comes down to is longevity is how long you've had it. It's like, so number one, pay your bills on time. All of them, always. Mm -hmm. Then there's the rules. Okay, so what factors go into this algorithm, in air quotes, this algorithm that determines the FICO score, which is your credit score, is like, okay, one of them's credit utilization. It's like you have X amount of dollars in available credit, and you're going to use Y of that. So you want Mm -hmm. to keep that down to the minimum. That's one thing. Another thing is how long have you had them? What's the longest line of credit that you've had? That's another thing. Then it's your diversification. It's like how many different... Okay, so a credit card is is another word for a revolving credit line. It's a credit line that you're given. Okay, I'm going to lend you up to $5,000. You use $2,500 of it. You pay $2,500 back. Now you have a credit line back up to $5,000. It revolves. It rotates, right? Then you have secured lines, installment loans. A mortgage is an installment loan. A car loan is an installment loan. It's like, I'm going to borrow. I'm going to lend you $10,000. You have five years to pay me that back. You're going to pay me once a month at this interest rate. So you're going to have... Five sixty payments over five years. It's another part. Okay, what's your mix of credit? Do you have an installment loan? Do you have a car loan and a credit card? Okay, that's that's an installment loan and revolving credit line. The third thing is is that secure debt. So if you go buy, if you go to Jordan's Furniture and you use a credit card, you use their store card to buy a couch, you don't pay for that couch. Are they gonna come repossess your couch? No. They, there's nothing securing that credit line. They're just going to report you to collections. If you don't pay your car note, they're gonna come take your car. Yep. Yes. You don't pay your mortgage. You're going to take your house. Yep. Because those credit lines are secured by what's called collateral, collateralized loan. So those are easier to get than an unsecured credit line. Believe it or not, the most difficult thing to get is a store credit card. Because, wow. well, when you're starting out, I mean, if you have, you've established credit, it's totally different. But to get like a JCPenney or the credit card or a Macy's card, those are actually the most difficult to get. And or they have the highest interest rates because they represent the most significant risk. Because if you go buy $5,000 in close and you're like, eh, I don't really care about my credit anymore. I'm not going to pay it. They're not going to go into your closet and repossess your suit jackets. So, that, But if you don't pay your car note, they just have to drive down the street yeah. and hook your car. And then comes our go, friend, Mr. Totra. Yeah, then they're going to be able to recoup part of that debt. So you have revolving credit lines. It's a credit card. You have installment loan, which is borrow X amount of dollars. You're going to pay it back over Y years. And then within those categories, you have secured and unsecured. So that kind of covers the rules. Is At a high level, that kind of covers the rules. It's like, it's not just having credit, but it's using your credit responsibly. If I could tie it into what we've been talking about, have you noticed any trends with older people, people like, like people our parents' age, people our age, people younger than us? Or is it kind of like, is it fairly similar across the board that in every age group, there's people that are good and people that aren't good? The latter. Okay. Yeah, I I have to tell you, I, to this day, will never forget some of the conversations I used to have with lawyers, 
doctors, people who made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, who, as far as finances were concerned, were dumb as a box of rocks. Wow. They had horrible credit. And because of the money they had, they just didn't give a fuck and it wasn't handled. But that was primarily it. Is like they and that's kind of the thing. Borrowing, if people thought about it, it's as organic as breathing. You're going to have any level of success. You have to be able to borrow money. Unless you're independently wealthy, you have to be able to borrow money. And when you borrow money, the the objective should be is to do it as inexpensively as you possibly can. And that's called an interest rate. So when you borrow money, the interest rate that you pay, and that's what everyone's talking about right now, the Fed hiring the interest rate, yeah. they're trying to make it as expensive as they possibly can so that people stop doing it. Because what causes inflation is mm-hmm. too many people have too much money and they spend too much of it. The example that we had about affluent people with bad credit is that they made so much money that the cost of borrowing didn't affect them Mm -hmm. as much as it affects normal people. So as an example, I used to see all these people that worked for the T. No one ever told them, you're looking at paying 20% on this car loan and you're ending up with a $700 a month car payment for basically a piece of shit because you have beaten and beaten down your credit so badly that now you represent such an unacceptable level of risk to a Even with your money. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it doesn't matter how much money you Mm -hmm. make, is that you are a, it is a foregone conclusion or assumption that you are not going to pay us back. And then when I would use those words, some people would get up and walk out. Now the people would be like, what do you mean? I'm going to pay you. It's like, well, your credit tells me a very different yeah, story. Yeah, there's no proof of that. Yeah, in like fact, there's proof to the contrary. This yeah. uh, piece of paper here says otherwise. Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. It's like, yeah. well, you didn't pay Visa. You didn't pay Wells Fargo. You didn't pay Toyota Motor Credit. Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Like, it doesn't matter. You borrowed money from them and, and you didn't pay them. And these people come to you already with pre packaged excuses ready, right? Oh, absolutely. And they think, and at the end of the day, they have to make an individual decision whether they want to keep doing what they're doing. And, and, and in, these, in this example, these people were affluent enough where it really wasn't going to make that big of a difference. So I probably didn't get through to the vast majority of them. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot of people I know that I did because you can see the look on their face where they're like, well, wait a minute. So I'm I'm here having to buy a crappy car for a very high payment. And that's because of what it's going to cost me for the loan. Not how much I'm borrowing, but what it's going to cost me over that period of time to pay it back. And I'm like, yep. And I'm like, and that's a reflection of you, not the car or the people who are lending you the money to buy the car. Because at the end of the day, people used to always think that, oh, my car broke, so I'm going to stop paying for it. Well, <laughs> who, who's who's going to get hurt in that equation? That's a reflection of you and your inability to maintain your car. Do you think that you're going to take it out on the bank? No, that's built into the rate that they charged you because when you mm-hmm. borrow the money, they could clearly see you were a high risk. Now you've proven them right. And all you've done is exasperate the issue that was your bad credit. Whereas right? if uh, someone proves them wrong, the reward to them is a better yeah, credit score. and that's exactly it. It's like, yeah. to back to the point about fair being, Eric, credit being fair, is that credit doesn't care. I can't say that enough. It does not care. You either paid this person back like you mm-hmm. said you were going to, or you didn't. So it's always going to be in the borrower's best interest to work something out. Yes. Because if you're on the hook and you borrowed money, it doesn't matter. And that's why I always tell people, like when they ask for my advice about why I, you know, I lost my job, do, well, I was like, do you owe money? Well, yeah, call everybody that you owe call them, tell them I lost my job. Let's work something out. Because if you had terms then, let's see if you can renegotiate them. Because if you don't, if you're, if you let pride drive what you do, you're you don't, yeah, you, you are. So, I mean, and pride, and, I imagine when you're dealing with people who have that kind of income, pride's huge. Oh yeah, I used to. And it wasn't easy. Pride's pride. We all have pride. It's remaining open enough 
to, to say, oh, well, I clearly have handled this wrong. I fucked up. And it's, it, you have to get over the... Sorry, sorry. sorry. It's okay. For anyone who doesn't know, we have a fourth member here, and that yeah. fourth member is your dog, Lincoln. Yeah, my golden retriever, uh, uh, Lincoln. Fantastic dog. And yes, I'm trying to get your dog's attention as he's looking at me and judging me. Yeah, he's very judgy eyes. Yes. But you, you have to realize, it is kind of a, it's a set of rules. Credit is all predicated on a set of rules. And those rules exist because we have to borrow money. Our entire culture is predicated based on being able to borrow money. Our form of government is designed to be in debt. And being in debt isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a misunderstood term. It's a very good point, and I'm sorry for cutting you no, off, Chris, okay. because I saw a reel. Somebody made a reel, but they were talking about our national debt and the consequences if we continue the way we're going of how that would impact Social Security and all these things. Right. Well, it's an exact same example that we were just using about, so you had the really affluent tea worker that has a horrible credit score, but they can get by because they make so much money. Well, that starts to get eaten into a little bit when they have other big bills that might come up, and then all of a sudden that $700 a month car payment becomes very difficult to pay. Well, in the United States, we're a very affluent nation and our monetary system isn't based on gold anymore, so we can just print it. But what we're running into now is consequences. So what happens when you print money is that you devalue it. And it has to be pay- backed by gold, yeah. yeah. No, well, what I was going to say is like almost like supply and demand. I know that's not well, a good, that's it, it not a good there, one, but, but it gets there. But what I mean is like when there's literally too much physical cash yeah. out there. You create yeah. a, a greater demand. So what that's why it causes inflation, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So the remedy to solve one problem can become the cause of another one. Like is it a good example? I'm not picking sides. I'm not saying Joe Biden's a bad president or anyone else is a good president, but a current president and the Congress made a decision to inject trillions of dollars with this build back better thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's, what just, that's what they called the legislation. And it, it did a lot of good, but it injected a whole ton of money into our monetary system. And so it created all this, all this opportunity, which is great. But if you do that too much, too fast, you can create basically people are walking around with too much money in their pocket. And you might think, well, how is that possible? Well, it's because there's all, there's a balance between how much people put in savings and how much people spend and inject into the economy. And if you if they keep spending money and they put it into the economy, now those companies have to react and they have to buy more goods themselves. And then they have the opportunity to raise the cost of those goods because now there's more demand. Now, but what happens is, is that if that increase in cost outpaces the increased money coming in, I remember this is that was a one-time infusion of money, yep. right? Then all of a sudden now you have inflation. So now the increased cost of all these goods has far outpaced the, the more money. You don't you don't see Joe Biden and Congress keep on sending us checks. And it's fair to say that we're waiting, Biden. <laughs> no, no, no. That right on the heels of Build Back Better, we were handed all of this stimulus money yeah, as a country. And, and I'll tell during you, COVID. yeah, I mean, I built a patio and did all kinds of things, right? But and that's exactly what is dangerous. I took that money, all these thousands of dollars that I'm very fortunate. I didn't need that, mm-hmm. but I I took it and I'm like, okay, here, here's Home Depot, here's two grand. Here, whoever else has, has more money, I'm, I'm going to buy some stuff. And here's the, the rental company down the street. I need to rent a thing to do the foundation to my patio. Well, now they took that money and they did more stuff with it. So it's a balance, right? Because all of these things you're thinking, oh, money's good. Oh, these businesses must have been doing great. Yeah, but it's a balance because when they talk about the economy humming or heating up, it can overheat because it gets away from it. 
all economics is about balance. Like we're talking about how the pendulum swings too far and about how the extremes are always the danger zone. Like yeah, the game of the, operation, you got to yep. stay within side. It's like, that's exactly where we're sitting at right now. We are in the extreme. And I'm, I'll tell you, I'll use myself as a perfect example is that we're in extreme right now, like home prices, right? Like what happened? Why is all that crap happening? Is that, well, money was so cheap to borrow money to take out mortgages for large amounts of money that all of a sudden people who ordinarily couldn't afford really expensive houses could. So it created a huge demand. So it raised the prices up through the roof. And then all of a sudden, but there's there's always a consequence to that. Now, interest rates have gone up so less people can buy. Like I'm buying a house down the street. I'm very lucky that I'm still able to buy that house, even though it's going to cost me more money. But on purpose, the Fed raised the rate to disqualify millions and millions of people from being able to do what I'm doing right now. So that sucks. I feel bad for them. You know, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of first time homeowners that are trying to do what everybody wants to do, live the American dream. The only reason that we're buying a house now is because we're selling one too. So now the house that we're sitting in now is worth a lot more than what it will be in a little while. So it makes sense for us to do it. You have upped your equity. Because yeah. you're you're the price and that's the, the value point. of your, your right. current home. Right. And that's how you create wealth. You know, a lot of people like they get nervous about buying something and they're like and I'm like, Well, your mortgage isn't gonna be any more than what your rent is. And where does your rent go every month? Well, to my landlord. So you don't see any of that. Well, if you own it, that part of your money is going into like an equity bank. You know, diminished returns are better than no returns at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you get no return on There's no investment. It's just money right out the window when you rent. Even if you have a, even if your cost of borrowing isn't really low. That's why I'm saying it's never bad to borrow money unless it doesn't serve to your benefit. Right. It's like if, if you're borrowing money at such a high rate, where it's out of necessity, you know, it's out of desperation, it's out of necessity. Kind of like those people you were talking about that, like lawyers and doctors. Yeah, who they had to made, buy subprime auto loans. Made, yeah, yep. made absurd amounts of money, but they had to borrow to break even. And then you have, unfortunately, a lot of those people that don't know the rules of finance and they have to borrow money out of necessities. They have to have a car loan because they have to have a way to get into work and then it becomes a vicious circle. And the only way to break that cycle, that circle, is by changing what their credit is. You see, you know, I know people that might be listening to this would be like, oh, it's easy to be on your high horse. Guess what? I had a 590 credit score once. Yeah, so I've had that. You know, I, and that's why I yeah. learned because I didn't like to be told no. And I know people who have had, how low does it go? They didn't go the lowest that goes. 460 something. Yeah, I know I people that have had 480s and yeah. they wanted to do these things. And I could, I, I knew enough to say, well, you can't. Yeah. You can't because yeah, you have a 480 credit Yeah, score. and I, when I've lived a life where I got used to being told no and being embarrassed about applying for things or knowing that things like renting a, renting a car, getting an apartment was going to be unnecessarily difficult for me because when I ran my credit, they were going to see that I made mistakes. But I got to a point in my life where I started to make reasonably good money. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What's the point of making this money if I can't do anything? So I'm like, I need to fix this. You know, so he's giving you guys advice from having been there and educating himself, you know, so it's as much as some people may listen to this stuff and maybe get a little like, oh, Jesus, you know, there are yeah. people who are professionals in fields and give you the best advice they can. And that's what's happening here. And the other thing, the undercurrent that it sounds like you're talking about, Chris, is that you have to make your worth work for you. Yeah. And that's and because oftentimes we stereotypically would apply that to the wealthy, but yeah. it can be for so the, many the, people. Well, the thing, the advantage that really wealthy people have, they could take extra money they have kicking around. They could put it somewhere where it can work for them. So we work for our money. 
their money works for them. That's what it means to be wealthy is like, and good for them. Like, and, and when you're saying that, is it fair to say you're talking about multiple things there? You're talking about putting money into the stock market. You're talking about starting an businesses. An you're talking about creating yeah. portfolios. Yeah. yeah, an investment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's billions of different types of investments, but take it in baby steps. Like if, if you could, uh, uh, if anybody could create an initial financial goal is that Make yourself appetizing and appealing for someone to bar- to lend money to. I that agree. in itself will open up doors and opportunities to be able to do fun stuff, like have a car with a with a low payment, have a have a nice house with a low mortgage payment, uh, or be able to buy a nicer house. As a, as a self example, four months ago, I was looking at houses that were almost seven hundred thousand dollars or more, and I was going to be able to afford that. Wow. Well, I can't afford that anymore because even with good credit, interest rates have gone up significantly. So it affects everybody. Yeah. You know what yep. I mean? And it makes a big difference. So when when these things change and interest, you know, it affects everybody. But like I said, I'm lucky. You know, we had a house before, so we have that equity and make good enough money where we can we can still take the hit and keep going. But there's all these people that unfortunately got knocked out of the game, you know, because they, you know, they were looking at already buying at the top of their price bracket, which most people do, myself included. And then now with the changes in rates, now they they just can't afford it. And that's, that's a bummer. But it has to, unfortunately has to happen for a correction to take place. And like you said, checks and balances. Yeah. And that's, it, I mean, it's the thing about capitalism. It's like, if the if the objective is to make money, like we all want to make money, everybody wants to make money. Businesses want to make money. Banks want to make money. It's just that we all have different ways of going about doing it. You know, when banks make money on interest and lending. hospitals want to make money. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to make money, but it's it's the balance. And unfortunately, and that's kind of the thing. Not to go off on a total tangent, but that's kind of the thing. Is like if we had moderation in all things. Life would be cool. Problem is, is that even if we exhibit moderation, we can't count on everybody yeah, else. Yeah, there's tons who aren't. You know, going it's to. like particularly large corporations and stuff like that. They're not interested. They're not interested in just making enough money. They want to make the most money. You know? It's real life monopoly. Yeah, I think this has been a really fantastic conversation. Yeah, man. Because if you think about it. People our age, what has happened during our lifetimes? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything. We had, and we, we had the catastrophe of 9-11 when we were yeah. late teens, early 20s. 2008. The, the we, had, we had the recession. Yeah, we've been through every, a lot of, even multiple, yeah, we've experienced, and we're so ill-equipped, yeah. incredibly ill-equipped. And yeah, the best thing to really do is just get a basic fundamental understanding of debt. Mm-hmm. Like, What does it mean to borrow money? Why is it important to have good credit? What is good credit? Like those basic, basic things. It's like... It's easy to stand on the sideline and say, I don't get it. But it's also easy to educate yourself one now step at a time. Yeah. Now it is. Yeah. Like when we were growing up, we didn't have... Oh, well, there was none a, of us. We had nothing. We no had YouTube, crap. Absolutely no references. Nothing. Now there's really no excuse. It's a choice. You know, I would say that, I mean... I'm, Willful ignorance. Yeah. yeah. But now it's a, cho- it's a choice. Nowadays, bad credit is a choice choice and you can choose to get it better and you will get better and i can't stress that enough it's like you you are absolutely full of shit if, if you think that anyone's going to believe you if you say well well my this was someone else's fault or this was no it's a matter of a choice you co-sign it alone you trusted somebody and they didn't pay you trusted somebody you shouldn't have trusted it's mm-hmm. still on you it's you it's your decision so you have to guard your funny it's a your financial reputation you have to guard that like you'd guard your own health and I have you know to say, I mean? man, I got to give you some props because we're actually doing this in your house right now. And it's it's amazing how many fixtures in your house are solid gold. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, I've never seen that outside of like Borat, honestly. Or Trump. Yeah. 
<laughs> guys, everything's not gold. You know, just letting you know. It's actually a really nice, beautiful home. And but I just, and I've seen the pictures of your new home, and I know that that is uh, it's an upgrade. Yeah, it's upgrade. congratulations, it is, sir. Thanks. And it's all. I mean, I'm not wealthy. It's based on ability to borrow. Yeah, it's like I'm going to massive you know, debt. No, you're educated. Yeah. Like I'm tripling my mortgage yeah. that I'm taking on. Right, but it's a it's a balance. It's like yeah, I make more money now than I did when I bought this house. So what? But it's at the end of the day, it's like. I can't have what I have. And no one who is in that same position can have what they have unless they're able to strategically borrow money. Again, being like sort of the layman in the room, you know, I think kind of the underlying thing, one of the things you said is, without saying it, is there's a lot of people who get into financial hardship and throw their hands up. Oh, they all do. The vast majority. They're like, now I'm a victim. Majority. I'm yep. fucked. I can't yeah. do anything about this. So your whole system oh, of oh, talking yeah. to people today yeah. is, no, actually, there's about 27 things you yeah. can do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, Don't feign hopelessness. And that's like saying, well, I'm sick, so I'm not going to call the ambulance. Like, yeah, it's well, a loop. I'm, it's a, I'm yeah. sick, so I'm not going to come into work. Boom, we just oh, went full hey, circle. Yeah. Seinfeld. <laughs> So it's like, it's all about individual it. choices. I mean, that's why I tell my seven-year-old all the time. It's like the life that you lead is the result. Of oh, the your kid's going to have make. amazing credit. Bro. Yes. You know, he absolutely <laughs> is. At 16, he'll be able to start a billion yeah, dollar business. And, and it's all based on your ability to borrow money. Everything is predicated on that because we're not independently wealthy. And I want to say something else though, because we didn't talk about this and you know, I understand we're kind of at the end, but I was basically raised being taught the opposite of what you just taught us. Like our parents as boomer parents, mine were like, don't get credit cards, credit cards bad, all that yeah. stuff bad. Yeah. So we didn't realize till we moved out that we didn't have credit. They grew up in a time where that you, wasn't you a could, thing, right? You could make enough money because things weren't as anyone nearly as expensive. See, that's like actually a real thing. To give you an example, Rem, because I do know this. I know we we give boomers a lot of flack. But when they it comes, did what they could. But but my, for like my dad, I will sing his praises on finances. Like he was masterful, and Chris knows a little bit about some of the stuff he did. He even did essentially for my mom when yeah. he was dying. He, but he, and he had not to interrupt you, but he had he had significantly more working to his benefit. Yes, because things were more affordable. Like mm -hmm. I want to give you guys an example. This is all right. So I'm going to use I'm going to use myself. I bought this house for two I think two hundred seventy one thousand dollars. Oh wow. Now you've seen the house that I'm buying. It's nice. Yep. So it's only eighteen, well, nineteen hundred square feet. So you've I added three hundred square yeah, feet. Yeah. It's, that's about how much bigger it is. The same town. It's down the street. Now, in order for us to be able to have what you saw in that picture, we had to spend over six hundred thousand dollars. This house is is worth a little bit, just under five hundred. That's how much mm -hmm. prices have gone up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not just housing prices. That's how much I should say how much more expensive things have gotten universally. So, and and mm -hmm. we've lived. That's only over the course of seven years. Yeah. So, so things, the prices of things are go going up at such an accelerated rate. No normal person can keep up with that. What do you think it's going to be like when your kids your age? I have no idea. But see, our parents didn't grow up in that time. Things, things. That's not the way things went. Yeah. Right. It took insanely longer to build up a couple hundred thousand dollars in equity. I mean, isn't that insane? Over seven years to have someone walk up and say, here's $200,000. Well, for what? Oh, well, what you bought seven years ago is now worth- Just naturally. 200, that's, but that's exactly what mm -hmm. happened to me. I still think it's crazy. Like, I even like asked myself, like, how am I affording this? It's like, oh, well, seven years ago, I did a thing. And now over that seven years, now seven years later, someone's handing me a check for $200,000. The example I was going to use is that my parents bought their house, the house I grew up in, in 1978 for $28,000. Uh, yeah. And- Last I knew, it was worth about a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. That return is, and, and is what's to and be you, expected. And when you put it over that period of time, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, okay. So people can like 
to say, oh, well, yeah, that's over like a lifetime, right? But just it, it's to point out just how difficult it is right now. How is it like, like so that if you think of this as like as a starter home, right? It was our starter home. How is it that if we only seven years ago were like, oh my goodness, how are we going to afford a house of $270,000? That's what I was thinking. I was there. I was like, how am I going to afford that? How all oh, holy hell, only seven years later, can someone afford a starter home for almost half a million dollars? Most, a yeah. people how? Right. They can't, but they're yeah. doing it. How are they doing yeah. it? They're going into more debt. See, when we talk about how we're going to keep up, how are people doing it now? And the other, and this is back to what I meant by my dad was masterful, is once they paid off their mortgage on that home, they were always doing additions. They were always tweaking things, but then they would basically use the home as the equity. They didn't need to do this and they would take out loans, not astronomical loans, but yeah. they would take out loans because they could. Because they go, okay, well, yeah, against the, the value of my home. And I'm, what am I yeah. going to do with that? They, I'm going to improve my Right. Home. And that's all the, where it comes down to like borrowing power. It's like, that's why it makes it so, so worth it to earn a good financial reputation. Not just don't have good credit. What the hell does that mean? No, earn a good financial reputation. Borrow money responsibly and pay it back like you say you're going to, mm -hmm. and it will pay dividends. Again, seven years later, some some guy is handing me $200,000, Kristen, and they're saying, hey, go use this as a down payment on your next house. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. Now, did I do anything to earn that? Nope. I just bought something. And waited. And, and I waited. Time. And then I was like, okay, now it's time to move. What's my house worth? That's oh. actually what I... We're talking about investments. That's actually what I did with my Generation 1 Optimus Prime. Yeah. <laughs> and you could do that with anything. I mean, it's just real estate's the most the most common thing, but it's like... No, but seriously, it was a $2,000 transformer. Just yeah. saying. I mean, yeah, that's kind of cool. That's, you have it from your childhood, cool. and then you look at it, and you're like, hey. Yeah. Anyway, that's my, <laughs> that's my interjection <laughs> on money, guys. You can go back to being adults. But it's like, it's just a thing. Like, it's, you know, finances doesn't have to be boring. And, and, and at the end of the day, like, I know when you think, oh, let's talk about personal finance, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be boring. But it's, it's again, organic is breathing. It's like, if you don't know something about your personal finances, you're going to suck at it. And the quality of your life is going to be, Suffer, yeah. yeah, it's going to be directly related to how much or little that you know. Thank you, everyone, thank for, you, for tuning in. Uh, before yeah. we leave, Lincoln, speak. <laughs> Bob, so the thank you. The pleasure was all yours. Oh, it's good to be seen yeah. as always, Chris. Yeah. That's that's one of our inside <laughs> jokes. Uh, you know what's nice yeah. to be here, man. It was great to meet you. Thank you so much for being yeah, on the show. No problem. And on that note, everybody, take care. Have a great night. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>